0: Good to be here this morning, good to see everybody, uh, it is truly an honor, uh, it's a pleasure, it's a privilege to be here to share God's word with you and outside of everything else that's going on, it was exactly right, uh, this morning, let's hear from God, let's not hear from Michael, uh, I want to bring a message to you this morning that uh, I think is timely, uh, especially given what we've heard this morning, I, uh, I did check my phone a few minutes ago. Yep, I was looking at my phone, looking at Twitter and church. Uh, it was two officers have died, two are wounded in Baton Rouge. Um, add that to just what's been going on already this week and this month, and, and I, think, I think this message is exactly what God wants us to hear. Built in unity. We see clearly that we live in a, in a divided world, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you want to to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11. You can just go ahead and start getting there. But we live in a divided world. We, we see just, just, what, yesterday, two days ago, uh, a, an attempted coup in Turkey. Now, I haven't heard the media tell me which side I was supposed to be on yet. Uh, but um, it, it, there, there's division across the world. We, we see uh, ISIS... Other terrorist groups, 82, 84, killed in Nice, France, three days ago or four days ago by, by a truck. Uh, we live in a world divided. Geopolitical division, religious wars all over the place. Our own country. Now we have four more officers, two more officers dead, uh, two more wounded. We, we see racial division in our country. Uh, regardless of your opinion on it, it exists. Regardless of why it exists, it exists. Politics, I, I've, I've been through a few presidential races myself. Uh, some of y'all have been through a few more than I have. I'm sure we've seen it more divided than it is or equally as divided, but I tell you what, it, there's, some, there's some passionate views on both sides. We are a divided country, uh, even regions. You know, We don't like Alabama fans. You know, it, there, there, are, there are some divisions that are okay, right? Uh, it, but even that, there are people that will go and poison oak trees in Auburn, Alabama, just because their team's not from that town. You know, they, the, the division sometimes is absolutely crazy. And then in our own homes, divorce, politics. Right? I mean, can you, can you talk about politics safely in your family? If you can, you're a lucky one. Uh, animosity. So-and-so did this to me 20 years ago, and I'm never going to forgive him or her. We're a divided people. We're a divided country. The one place that should not be divided, though, is the church. But. Right? There's, there's that but on the end of that. Now, some things matter in church. Some things we should be divided over. Uh, soteriology, you know, the, the salvation. How are we saved? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? Well, we believe, I believe, that we are saved by faith. So we should divide over that. That's, we, we can do that. Uh, inerrancy of scripture. That's something that I believe, yes, we should be divided over. The trinity. Are we Unitarians or not? No, we're not. We're Trinitarians. That's, there, there are things we must divide over. There are some things that it's okay to divide over. That, that It doesn't create animosity, but it's just, it's just the way we do things versus somebody else. And that's not a bad thing, provided that we can come together in grace. But what cannot happen, some things should not divide us. Some things uh, don't matter, you know, like carpet color or hurt feelings or pews or chairs or did the preacher wear dress pants or jeans when he preached that time he came in view of a call. You know, those things, those are the kinds of things that can divide us but shouldn't. The Bible is clear. Jesus was clear that his church was not to be divided. His church was to be unified. That doesn't mean that all, however many Billions of Christians around the world meet in the same place at the same time and all look the same. And that is certainly not the case. And we see that in our scripture passage this morning. But what it does mean is that we are to be unified in spirit. See, the church was built in unity. And that's the title of the message this morning, built in unity. And what we're going to see is that if a church... Anywhere, whether it's First Baptist Sulfur or First Baptist Nixon or anywhere else, if a church is going to move forward in doing God's will and accomplishing the purpose that the church is called to accomplish, that church must move forward in unity. We can't go 20 to different directions and get the same place, no matter how hard we try. We can't all pull a rope the different a different direction and get whatever we're pulling to move at all. So we have to be in unity. As we move forward. So hopefully you've turned to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 22 this morning. And I've got to get it real close because my contacts get twisted. And uh, I'm playing the trombone up here. If I get the right light behind me. There we go. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. Called the uncircumcised. Let me stop right there. They called people foreskin, okay? If any, any medical people, they called each other. The Jews called the Gentiles foreskin. That was their crude nickname. Thank you. Some lights just came on. That was wonderful. I appreciate it. Uh, by those who were called, in quotes, the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands, Paul says. At that time you were without the Messiah, talking to the Gentiles, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, see, formerly, but now, but now in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near to, by the blood of the Messiah. And I think this is the linchpin of this verse, verse four, uh, this passage, verse 14. For he is our peace, who made both groups one, And tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law uh, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. So that he might create in himself one new man from the two. Resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. And put the hostility to death by it. When the Messiah came he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. And the whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that, that in reality today is not about me and it's, it's not about uh, first sulfur. It's, it's, it's really not even about the future, though that's a part of it. God, today is about you. And I pray that uh, as, as this message is delivered, that all here who, who, who hear it, all anywhere else who hear it, will hear the message of you. The calling of your Son on our lives to be unified, to look to the future, to look to tomorrow as a church bound together by Jesus and in Jesus, and for no other purpose than to reach those who are far from you and bring them in by the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to see three things in this passage. We're going to see first... The outsiders, we're going to see those that were the undesirables to the Jews. We're going to see that in verses 11 through 12. Then we're going to see the reconciliation that occurred in verses 13 through 18. And finally, we're going to see the new race, this one person that Jesus created. And we're going to see that in verses 19 through 22. Some of you who have watched my sermons online already, look at the length of this passage and you're thinking, have mercy. We're going to get out for supper, not for lunch. no, I promise you that that won't be the case. okay, I don't think that'll be the case. Uh, the outsiders Paul tells the, the the church in Ephesus, look y'all, y'all were one time as Gentiles, you were the outsiders, you weren't accepted. the Jews called you names, called you not a very good name like I said, remember they called him they called them the foreskin that's not. That's not something you want to be called. Uh, It sounds like something brothers would call each other or something. But in particular, Paul says there were five ways that the Gentiles were outsiders. He says first, looking in verse 12 with me, that at that time you were without the Messiah. They were outside Christ. They had no Messiah. Now, what, what Paul's talking about, looking back in history, of course, the Jews didn't have Jesus either, but they had the promise of Jesus. They had the promise of the Messiah that would come, and that was their hope. Look, read Hebrews, and see how they talked about uh, their forefathers, the patriarchs, and how they looked forward to the hope. They knew that they had a Messiah that was coming. The Gentiles did not have that. They were outside of Christ, no promise of salvation. He says that they were uh, outside of Israel, excluded from the citizenship of Israel. They had no privilege. Jews had privilege in their citizenship in Israel. They had privilege with God. They were the chosen people. Now, they were chosen for a purpose. They were chosen for the same purpose that the church has been set apart. They were to be a missionary people, and they failed that task in similar ways that the church too often fails in, in our missionary task. But that was the privilege. Israel was God's special possession. Paul knew it. The Gentiles did not have that blessing, did not have that 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 privilege when they uh, were coming along and getting to this, to this point when the Messiah showed up. Third thing he says, that they were outsiders from, they were foreigners to the covenants and the promise. They, they were outside of guidance. They did not have God's law. Now, God's law was not what made you faithful you were faithful, so you kept the law. Similar today, it, our works don't save us, but when we are saved, we will do those works that are holy and good and, and do what Jesus told us to do, right? See, they, the, the Gentiles had no theocracy. They, they had no holy statutes. They, they, they didn't know what they were supposed to do. They didn't know what they weren't supposed to do because they were outside of the, law. the fourth thing he says they were outside of, they were uh, without hope. They had no future. The, the, the suicide rate among pagans at this time was pretty high. They, they had no future. They had no hope. Uh, their eternity was iffy. I mean, they, they, as, they had some sort of god or gods that they worshipped, but they were fickle. If you, if you remember back, I think in high school, most of us had to study the, the Greek myths at some point. Remember that they could never depend on the gods. Zeus was not dependable. Apollo was not dependable. Well, we know why, because they didn't exist. But even those that worshipped them and believed they exist knew they couldn't depend on these people, these, these, these gods so-called. Gentiles had a very iffy eternity. And, and we know the truth. They had a very bleak eternity. And the fifth thing that Paul said they were outside of, they were without hope, and they were without God in the world. They, he, he called them atheists. And they, they had gods, right? But they didn't have Yahweh. They didn't have the God. It was, uh, I believe it was Polycarp, who it's told when he was being martyred, at uh, the end of the, the first century A.D., uh, the, the, the accusation from Rome at the time was, with: if you didn't worship, the, didn't worship Caesar, if, if you didn't worship the, the Roman gods, then you were an atheist. And what they told him was, to, you have to say, in order to, to, to live, put away your atheist, or, or away with the atheist. That's what you had to do, away with the atheist. So Polycarp looked around him, all the people standing there waiting for him to die, and said, away with the atheists. See, they, they didn't quite get that they were the ones without God. Gentiles were without God. No protection, no obedience from God for God to God, no, no blessing from God without God in the world. The thing is, this doesn't just, describes, just describe the Gentiles then, it describes, you, you realize, of course, we are Gentiles, right? We're the, we're the ones Paul is writing to. But it describes everyone outside of Christ today. If, if we are outside of Christ, we have no hope. We have no future. We, we have no God in our lives. We have no guidance. We, we have no privilege. But God said, I, I want to fix that. We're not going to leave them outside, we're not going to stop with the outsiders. He provided a reconciliation. And in verses 13 through 14, Paul talks about that reconciliation. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Now, Paul's reaching back into Isaiah here and bringing out Isaiah chapter 57 and a couple of other places. You who are far away have been brought near, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. See, we've been brought near by the blood there is no reconciliation between you and me between you and an estranged parent between us and another church between white people and black people between uh, Americans and Africans or Europeans there is no reconciliation between anybody any disparate group any group that has some sort of clash between them until Jesus reconciles the individual. That's where the reconciliation begins. So we can can talk about how races need to come together in our country, and we need to have that conversation. We need to talk about that because that does need to happen. But it will not happen until Jesus reconciles the lives of the individuals involved. On both sides of the equation. On both sides of the discussion. On both sides of the fence at the protest. We must be reconciled to Jesus. We are only brought near by the blood, Paul says. And what he says that Jesus did was that he tore down the dividing wall. Some of your translations may say, tore down the wall, that is, the fence, or some variation of that. See, that, our English translation loses us a little. It, it, it was confusing, it's still confusing for translators to figure out exactly what Paul meant here, but looks like he's talking about the same thing that really does two different things. One, a a dividing wall, a a fence, it would be that which confines, because that's what the law was supposed to do, right? It was supposed to confine Israel, protect them, but what they began to do was allow that that fence not to just protect them, but to separate them, and we can't be that. These walls do not separate us from the outside world, or they should not. Unfortunately, many times our church walls do. We come here to get away from the world. Y'all, we're supposed to come here so we can be prepared to go out to the world. These walls are just here for us to stay cool and dry. And then we go out and we do the work. Paul says he took down that, that fence that you That God intended to protect you But you used for the wrong purposes He took down that wall Which separates you from everyone else That is what Jesus did He tore down that dividing wall Began that reconciliation in that way Well how did he do that? Paul goes on in verse 15 To tell him that he abolished the law Now this, this is not the moral law This is not the Ten Commandments Remember, the Ten Commandments are not if you keep the Ten Commandments, then you're saved. If you don't keep the Ten Commandments, then clearly you're not saved. The Ten Commandments are what come after salvation. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things come after salvation. You don't try to gather all those things up and say, oh, finally I've got enough, I'm saved, good, Woo. You come to him in reconciliation. And God does away with those things. Jesus does away with those things by his blood that separated us. In particular, the ceremony that divides. The the ceremonial laws that said you had to be circumcised. You had to come to the temple, but not too far. Gentiles, you can't come past this wall. Ladies, you can't come past this wall. Those walls were torn down. The ceremony was torn down. Everyone was then given access through the blood of Christ. And no longer were the Jews allowed by the abolishing of this ceremonial law to use this ceremony that divides in a sinful manner against the Gentiles because that's what they had done. They had taken what God had given them in order to protect them, in order to make them a special people, and said, great, thanks God, we're going to use this to beat Gentiles over the head with thanks, we appreciate it. Y'all, the church oftentimes isn't too far away from that. Oftentimes, we use our Bibles not as a means of grace, but as a bludgeon to talk to people, yell at people. Uh, one of my favorite songs, and we actually thought about singing it this morning uh, instead of this one. is it's just, it's just a different song, so we didn't. But Jesus, Friend of Sinner's. One of the lines there that says, What if we put down our signs, crossed over the lines, and loved like you did? What if we put down, don't put down our Bibles, don't put down our standards, don't put down our morals, Don't put down what Jesus has told us clearly to do and not to do. We're not going to compromise the gospel. We're not going to compromise what God has said. But we're not going to go to people and yell at them and say, you need to be different because I'm different. We need to tell them, you need to be saved because I was just like you. We were those Gentiles, outsiders. Later on, Paul names all the things that we did, all the things that you were in your previous life. I, I'm, I'm going to assume that most of us here this morning don't want to have to stand up and, and say all the things we were in a previous life. Or maybe even yesterday. I'm just, that's just a hunch on my part. We're not going to use those things to, to divide anymore. God is to has abolished the law through Jesus. And then he, in verse 15, goes on to say that he might create in himself one new man From the two. He has created a new race through Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood created a new race. That is the answer to division. That's the answer to division outside of these walls, and that is the answer to division inside of these walls. Because God has created a new race. There, There are no black people, or white people, or brown people, or yellow people, or red people, or whatever colors we call their skin that are pretty well inaccurate. There are none of those. There are Christians, and there are not Christians. And if we're Christians, we're supposed to be working together to make as many non-Christians Christians. We're supposed to make hell smaller and heaven bigger. And too often we focus on making our churches bigger. We make our hearts smaller, and I think we make God really sad sometimes because we're more worried about ourselves than being a new race The answer to division. A new creation among whom racism, prejudice, alienation, estrangement, argument, they should be unheard of. Do I expect 250 people to always agree? No. Do I expect some, quote, discussion over some issues among 250 people? Absolutely. But I expect Christian unity as we discuss. I expect Christian unity as we move forward. I expect that we honor God in what we say and what we do. And we look to see what his will is, not what my will is. And not what anyone else's will is. That's the answer to division. Then Paul goes on to say in verses 16 and through 18 that he, God actually reconciled, or, or Jesus reconciled, both sides. The, the the truth of the matter is both groups needed the same thing. Uh, the Jews were close, right? Paul says those, he brought those who were far close. But he also brought those who were near close. See, the Jews were special. They were privileged. They were part of God's people. They were a chosen nation and all those things. And Paul understood that. But their closeness did not mean automatic salvation. If you don't believe that, read Romans 9 through 11. And he talks about it. Read how the Jews rejected Christ, had him right there and rejected him. So their closeness did not guarantee their salvation. Spiritual reconciliation is required of both sides before there can be social reconciliation. I can say... I'm a Christian, I'm going to act a certain way towards someone else. And, and that is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to act the, the certain way that, that God has set forth for me. But there's not going to be any reconciliation, real reconciliation, until that person knows Christ as well. And we come together as brother and sister, or brother and brother. That is when we see social reconciliation it only happens with spiritual reconciliation. So the reconciliation happens. We, the outsiders now are, are brought in. They are reconciled. They're a part of the group. But they're not a part of the group, right? We have this idea maybe that if, if we witness to people and they come to Christ, then they come in and they're a part of us. I'm not wrong. That's what we think, that y'all come on in and be a part. And that's what the Jews thought, y'all come on in and be a part. And some of them thought that so much, they would tell people, in order to be the real Christian, y'all, once you get saved, that's great, but you've got to be circumcised too. And you've got to follow these ceremonial laws. You've got to do some of these other things. Because what they were saying was, in order to be Christian, you've really got to be Jewish. And that's not the way it worked. Because what Jesus did was he made a new race. new group, a brand new thing. It was not you Gentiles come join the Jews who've gotten it right finally with Jesus, but you Gentiles, you Jews, you come together and y'all be the new race that I have created in my blood. That's what Jesus was saying. Paul compares it to to three different things, this this new race in verses 19 through uh, 22. He says, then in verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. He's talking about a city here. This is a, a new city. It's, it's like a city. If you took high school English, you know you're not supposed to mix your metaphors, right? You, you, you don't say, you know, he's as dumb as a rock and, and ugly as a... Yeah, sweet tea. You know, this doesn't work if you, if you mix it. You've got to come up with your. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like George Bush trying to remember that. Y'all remember when he did that? And he said, he fooled me twice, shame on other people. And, you know, he did all that. I didn't plan those metaphors, so I have no idea. But it doesn't work. But Paul does that. He, he says, you know what? It's like a city. Oh, wait, even better. It's like a family. Oh, wait, it's like a building. It's like a city. Your citizenship is secured. Your, your citizenship is guaranteed. You have all the privileges. Paul knew about privileges of citizenship, right? Eventually, he's going to say, um, excuse me, guys, why are y'all beating me? I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. Y'all can't do that. Oh, have mercy. You're right. Uh, apologies. And he's going to have certain privileges because of that citizenship. We, as this new race, have certain privileges because of this citizenship. It's like a family. Y'all, we are adopted. We are Co-heirs with Jesus, we—he is our Savior. But in in the cosmic realm, in the spiritual realm, he's, he's our brother. We, we are joined with God in Him. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are adopted. Adopted adoption is a kind of a kind of a big deal with us, right? Our our, our little boy and little girl, uh, you know, that we we chose to bring them into our family. God chose to bring us into His family. And in Roman adoption, actually in in Roman law, and and y'all may know this, a person could disown their natural-born children. You could. You could write them out of the will. You're not mine anymore. I don't like you. Your hair's too long. You got tattoos. Get out of my house. And you could write them out and disown them. But you could not disown a child you adopted. If you adopted that child, he was yours forever. Y'all, if God has adopted you, you're his forever. That's the beauty of the passage. We're like a family. The Gentiles have been brought in, never to be kicked out. Romans 8 talks about that adoption in a beautiful way. We're like a building, and this is, this is where Paul kind of finally stops and rests a little bit. You know, you're like a, like a city. Oh, you're like a family. Oh, no, you're like a building. You're like God's temple. The foundation, he says, is the gospel. The, the, the apostles and, and prophets, the, the ones who preach the gospel first, That is your foundation. But Jesus, though, is the cornerstone of that foundation. So, yeah, they they preach the gospel. That's what we built this church on. But the stone that, that set everything straight, the cornerstone, the one that lined us up. So we made sure we got the stone here, and yep, that's good, and we got it here. This is the one we're building off of and setting that foundation according to. That was Jesus. Interesting thing about this word, though, it only occurs maybe once or twice in the entire Bible, very rarely even in Greek literature. The word could actually mean cornerstone, the first stone that set. It could also mean capstone, the last stone that set. And Paul could have used different words to make, us, uh, make it clear exactly what he was saying, but I, I think maybe he knew what he was doing when he used a word that meant both. Because in the end, When it's all said and done, we are saved. Our life is completed because Jesus began it and Jesus will end it. It's not about me at the beginning or the end and certainly not anywhere in the middle because the new race is like a building that Jesus is building. So the future of uh, a First Baptist sulfur, well, it depends on on this unity regardless of of what happens in a few minutes the future of this church is built on unity no one is an outsider to first baptist sulfur it does not matter what they were or what they are we have the gospel we better be welcoming everybody who wants to come through these doors to hear that gospel Because they're not going to hear it anywhere else. Oh, there are other churches they can go to, but there's still going to be other churches who may think they're outsiders that aren't welcome as well. We cannot be that church. We have to be the church that says no one is unwelcome because we have the only means of grace. We have the only message that can save. And if we don't share it, who will? God did not say, y'all just sit and wait until somebody else shares the gospel. He said, you go and you share the gospel No one is an outsider in our future. No one is special in our future. Now, what do you mean by that, Michael? I'm pretty special. Yeah, I know you are. But there's no one here who did not need reconciliation. There's no one here that did not need reconciliation to God through the blood of Jesus. There's no one here who does not need reconciliation with someone else who also experienced reconciliation to God through the blood of Jesus. But more importantly, no one is special because the church is not about you and me. The church is not about which pastor you call next. The church is not about whether the pastor you call next has all the answers, has the, is the best preacher, or any of those things. The church, uh, the, 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 the future of the church, the church is about Jesus and his message. And you can have the worst pe- preacher and the best evangelism and be a church that's on fire for God. A church that's growing, a church that is reaching its community. You can be a church with the worst music ever and be a church that is on fire about evangelism and you will reach the community because that's what it's about. You can have holes in your pews, you can have uh, paint peeling off the walls, but if the church is about evangelism, the church is doing what it's supposed to do. That is what matters. That is the only thing that matters. And then finally, for the future of First Sulphur, we need to know that no one builds but Jesus. I know that in this room this morning, we have probably numerous families of founding members of, of First Baptist Sulphur. They did not build this church. Oh, sure, they, 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 were, they were used by God. But do you hear that? They were used by God. Jesus builds the church. There's nobody here that built this church. There's no one here this morning that will continue to build the church. That word that is used there in verse uh, 21, the whole building being put together, that is Jesus honing, shaping blocks of stone and putting them where they go, shaping you and me and putting us where we go in order to build the church. Our future as a church depends on unity in these matters. Depends on a lot more than that. But this morning here, As we mourn the loss of two more police officers. As we look at what is going on in our world and think there is no unity, there is nothing but division. There is no hope, there is only pain and death. I tell you there is hope. There is hope in a unified church, unified in mission, unified in vision, doing what needs to be done or Jesus, and that is sharing the gospel. But this morning, I want to ask, is there someone here that needs personal reconciliation? I'm sure you have issues. I'm sure you've got people that you need to reconcile with, and I understand that, but let me tell you this morning, you need to be reconciled with Jesus first in order for those other relationships to work. So I ask you this morning, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your faith in Him? Romans 3.23 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those Gentiles, those far away from God, that's all of us. But those, those wages, that, that death, that's been taken care of. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer for our sin. Not, not your effort, not your grandma. Not what church you attend, but the blood of Jesus, the gift of eternal life through him. The proof of that is that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. As a matter of fact, before any of us were born, right, Christ died for us. Christ knew that we would need a Savior. Christ knew what we would be, and yet he still died for us personally, you and me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, proving his love. And if you're here this morning, and you are, and you can hear my voice, and I'm pretty loud, so I assume you can, all you need to do is call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it, folks, and you will have that personal reconciliation. So I ask this morning, what do you need to do? What decision do you need to make? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you, first, I thank you that you've reconciled us to you through Jesus. Because God, if if we never have anything else, if we have no relationship reconciliation, no social reconciliation, we have that. Lord, thank you that you have worked in a mighty way in our lives there. But then I thank you also that you can reconcile those relationships among us because and only because of the reconciliation that we have in Jesus. I pray this morning that if there's someone here who has not made that personal reconciliation, that they would do that today with you, trusting you as their Savior in this time of response. And God, maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to pray about some reconciliation they need with other people. They need to pray about unity, about their part in the unity of this church and going forward. God, I pray that you'd speak to every heart here. Let each one of us know what it is we need to do in response to what we've heard this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's unity and purpose, y'all. What's your decision this morning? What, What do you need to do? Do you need to trust Christ as Savior? There are men who will be here up front that will help you through that, do you need to follow in obedience, that first step of obedience in bapti- baptism, as we're going to celebrate this morning here in just a few minutes. Maybe you need to redirect your life. Maybe you need to be the beginning of unity. Maybe you know I've been a part of disunity, but I need to fix that. Maybe you need to pray this morning about that. The altar is open. There will be someone here to pray with you. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe God is calling you to some greater purpose than what you have been involved with so far. Whatever your decision is this morning, I pray that you would hear it from God and you would respond this morning, do business with God as Donald leads us and we sing.